You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported, Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting remotely for WFHB, this is Benedict Jones. And I'm Todd Wicks. This is the WFB Local News for Monday, December 7th, 2021. Later in the program, WFHB Assistant News Director Noel Herhusky Schneider interviews Bloomington Mayor John Hamilton in our bi-weekly segment, A Few Minutes with the Mayor. More coming up in the bottom half of our program. Also coming up in the next half hour, the new IU Health Bloomington Hospital officially opened over the weekend. More in the top half of our show. But first, your daily headlines. At the COVID-19 press conference on December 2nd, Board of Health Director Penny Cottle gave an update on the rise in community spread of COVID-19. Yesterday, we had 94 cases reported to the dashboard, the largest number of cases reported since January of 2021. When we had uh, 104 cases at that time, today's cases were in the mid-70s. I think it was 74. When I looked back through my data notes, I found days that were in the mid-70s in the first week of January of of this past year, uh, followed by that 104. Um, In the end of July, we were looking at, we had 58 cases reported in one day. So we have seen that big jump that you were talking about as well. With over half of our eligible population vaccinated, some people may be asking, why is this happening? Well, while half of our eligible population vaccinated may be much better than some surrounding counties. It is not good. It's not nearly high enough. Mask wearing indoors and in crowded situations is waning, and it is clear that people are not staying home when they are sick. IU Health President Brian Shockney reported on the rising COVID-19 cases in the region. Their numbers have nearly doubled in the last week. We're seeing the same trend in the numbers between IU Health Bloomington and Monroe Hospital uh, and their COVID admissions as well. We didn't expect to be increasing in cases so soon again, uh, but as temperatures turn colder, vaccination levels continue to remain low across the country and in some of our areas here in the South Central region, we're once again seeing a spike as Penny shared earlier. According to the Washington Post, um, states such as our neighboring Michigan saw an 86% increase in COVID cases and a 37% increase in hospitalizations in the month of November, narrowing in on the numbers that rivaled their peak experience in April of 2020. We also are seeing um, early indications of the same level of increases of uh, positivity and uh, hospital admissions, not only at IU Health, but also across the state of Indiana. The hospital admissions and census in our district mirror the Indiana pattern. On the screen here, you see the recent pattern since July of this year. We never recovered from this current surge as we did in the previous surges. And here we are ramping back up with infections, hospitalizations, and unfortunately, deaths. 
Caudill said that they have learned through contact tracing that there are numerous instances of individuals going to social gatherings with symptoms of COVID-19 and urged residents to get tested before going to gatherings, even if they think it could just be allergies. IU Chief Health Officer Aaron Carroll said that individuals who have been vaccinated might think they don't have to take as many precautions, but warned that there can be breakthrough cases. Um, we're seeing it in our contact tracing where we, we find people who are positive and when we're doing the work, uh, it turns out that they've had two days of symptoms, which are concerning. Um, I think that there's a variety of reasons for this. One is uh, that, you know, until a year or two ago, it was part of our culture that there was something noble or American about powering through sickness and going to work, even if you didn't feel well. It's hard to get people not to do that. Uh, we have students that don't want to fall behind. We have professors that don't want to miss class. We have staff that want to go to work. And so convincing everyone that when you have symptoms, you need to stay home and you need to get tested is still a climb. The second is that a lot of the, the cases that we see this happen are people who are vaccinated and they assume, therefore, that they are safe. And that they're, when they do feel symptoms, that it's much less likely that they will have COVID. And that is true. It is less likely, but it is not zero. And we encourage them to get tested. But if you have to do this a couple of times a year because you have had colds or other viruses or RSV or enterovirus or the flu, uh, after a while, it, it just becomes human nature. You start to discount. it. So we are redoubling our messaging internally that anyone with symptoms needs to stay home, needs to get tested, needs to stay away until they, they know they don't have COVID, but, but that message needs to be spread widely. The next COVID-19 press conference will be held in two weeks to accommodate the new IU Hospital dedication ceremony. At the Monroe County Commissioner's meeting on December 1st, Board of Health Director Penny Cottle updated the commissioners on Omicron variant preparation. Uh, with the identification of Omicron, the new variant of concern, I know that there are many, many questions about that, and we don't have many answers for that right now. We are waiting to get more details and information as our scientists are looking at that and trying to get those answers for us. But there are some things that we do know. We know that vaccination is still needed. We know that wearing your mask is still needed. Uh, washing your hands, keeping your hands away from your face, uh, staying home if you're sick, if you have a fever, you're symptomatic, you've been diagnosed, uh, following quarantine guidelines. If you are unvaccinated and you're in close contact, stay home. Um, if you are vaccinated and you're a close contact, you do not have to quarantine, but you still need to monitor and it's advised that you get tested after Day five, probably between day five and seven is ideal. The more the virus circulates, the greater the ability to mutate into new variants and the greater the risks that eventually our vaccines will not be as protective as they currently are. We don't need to let that happen. And we have ways around that and it's vaccination. Monroe County Prosecuting Attorney Erica Oliphant presented a one-time federal grant that would give Adult Protective Services staff members a bonus for their work during the pandemic. She said that amidst the quarantine, Adult Protective Services staff still conducted home visits during the time without personal protection equipment and vaccinations. Adult Protective Services staff only conducted a few home visits 
But at that time, personal protective equipment was not widely available. There were many unknowns about COVID-19. There was no vaccine available. And many of the potential endangered adults are high risk, as are some of the staff in my adult citizen unit. The end of quarantine did not signal the end of stress regarding known and unknown risks associated with COVID-19. Adult Protective Services staff could not get vaccinated until February of 2021, meaning that for nearly a year, the investigators and the director were in close contact with people during home visits with little protection from infection. Uh, adult Protective Services staff had to make phone calls and complete paperwork associated with services and benefits for our endangered adults and those under investigation that they would not normally be responsible for uh, because some of our partner agencies were not operating at the same capacity or with the same procedures as they normally do. The increased risk of the jobs combi combined with the increased tasks and responsibilities, all of which are direct results of COVID-19 pandemic, have caused low morale and feelings of burnout among our small staff. Commissioner Penny Githen said that she was appreciative that the staff continued to work under the stressful conditions. Now, I'm just really thankful that the staff continued to take care of the, such a vulnerable population. Um, they, I feel like they deserve this. The county commissioners voted unanimously to approve the federal grant. The next county commissioners meeting will be held on December 8th. On Sunday night, IU Health said that the first baby was born at the new hospital. Five babies have since been delivered. IU Health Bloomington Hospital officially moved on Sunday from the location on 2nd Street to the new location at 2651 East Discovery Parkway. Brian Shockney, IU Health South Regional Central President, said in a press release, quote, We are so proud of how our team handled this massive undertaking. In a little over 12 hours, we opened a hospital and moved 123 patients while continuing to provide care at both facilities. Shockney says, quote, it was a successful day for IU Health, and we are looking forward to our ability to care for patients in new and innovative ways in partnership with the Indiana University Health Sciences Program, end quote. The city of Bloomington purchased the Second Street Hospital site. IU Health will be responsible for its demolition. On December 1st, the Monroe County Board of Zoning Appeals considered a zoning appeal for a truck stop on Victor Pike Road in Perry Township. The zoning violation is based on the fact that the business did not have the board's approval to have a truck stop. However, petitioner Mark Carmen said that when the business was bought by P&G Associates, the truck stop was a part of the gas station's intended design. P&G Associates uh, bought this property at 5100 South Victor Pike in 2005. The use is ongoing at that time, which they've continued since was diesel and gasoline fuel sales, a convenience mart, and uh, overnight truck vehicle equipment parking. Uh, the overnight truck parking uh, primarily was uh, long haul truck drivers who were taking break, rest, sleep opportunities, so they parked there. That use had been in place through the time that this property had been developed, starting in with Alan Terry, the original developer of this property, who acquired it with his wife Beverly in 1988. And sometime within the, the next year or two, I think the exact date of starting the business is not clear, but it, it, it happened within a, a year, two years at the most. They developed what 
Alan called a truck stop business. I will tell you, I hesitate using that term, but that's the term that he used. That's the term that's in a statement by Mrs. Terry that's as part of the appeal packet. Uh, but I hesitate to use that term only because the zoning ordinance now has a truck stop, truck plaza, or travel plaza definition that is much more extensive than what it is compared to the truck stop that Alan Terry envisioned that has been in place since then. His, his express intended use was to develop a site on the west side of Bloomington for diesel fuel cells. And in doing that, they put in the pumps, they created the gasoline diesel fuel cells, had a small building there out of which they actually had a small kitchen in which they had a look, they ran a little bit of a cafe, they did uh, convenience cells, a lot of, according to the statement of Mrs. Terry, uh, Alan Terry now is deceased, but there is widow uh, Beverly Terry who worked in business daily during the time they owned it. Uh, workwear suits, uh, sales of boots and, and other apparel and uh, some food items and convenience items. And that Alan had constantly and intentionally courted truck drivers to use the area for overnight parking for rest because it would add to fuel sales and sales from the either from their little in-house kitchen or cafe, whatever you want to call it, and, and other convenience sales. So it was part of his business model. Petitioner Carmen asserted that the truck stop should be permitted moving forward because it has been allowed for 30 years. He presented a lawsuit that Perry Township filed in 1987 about the truck and automobile parking that was settled and allowed uses in existence to continue as it were. Monroe County Planning Director Larry Wilson pushed back against the petitioner's assertion that the truck stop was approved in the settlement. Uh, this was a limited business. The, Mr. Waterford, who owned the property prior to the Terry's, uh, came into and had the property rezoned from agricultural. Uh, he asked for general business. The commissioners zoned it limited business. These are the uses that, uh, on the screen that are permitted by limited business. Uh, as you can see, uh, there's not a convenience store. Uh, there's not a uh, truck stop. However, there is gasoline service station and there is parking area public or employed. Uh, and if you go down to the definitions for these uses, uh, this is very important. The ordinance says here, ordinance 8619, which was the 86 ordinance, it was in effect until 1980 uh, or 1997. It says, except as provided, no building or premises shall be used for any purpose other than permitted in the zoning district in which the building or business is located. No land or light area shall be used or diminished so that yards or open spaces are smaller than prescribed. Only uses permitted in the limited business district could have been established legally on the site. He said that the site is permitted to be a fueling station for semi-trucks. However, it does not permit overnight parking. Board member Skip Daly asked why this is the first time in the 30 years it has been addressed. Wilson said that the planning department is complaint-based and doesn't have the capacity to uncover and enforce all misuse cases. Wilson explained the methodology of how he researched the zoning violation. Here's what I do. I look at the aerial photographs that have a history of the project. I go through the zoning ordinance to see what zoning ordinance was in effect at the time uh, the business began. I look through our records because the one concern I have is that I think if we'd approved a site plan 
if they file a site plan for this, if they have filed an improvement location permit application for their uh, gasoline service station, and we approved it, and on that application, it said overnight parking of trucks, I think at that point, we might be stopped from challenging it. They did not, or at least there's no records. We have no records from that time period, other than the fact uh, that this is what the ordinance says. And, and again, I don't have the power to change the terms of the ordinance. When it says automobile parking only, it means what it says. And when it says uh, parking of, of trucks less than one and a half tons, it means what it says. That is why we established a conditional use for truck stops because we had no provision for overnight parking of trucks or for even short-term parking of trucks. If you look around the county, we have, there's no gas station that has parking for trucks. Now this is the only one that has been allowing parking for trucks. And again, my determination does not preclude them from continuing uh, sales of, uh, of diesel fuel and gasoline to semi-trucks. It's the long-term overnight parking of semi-trucks, of utility service vehicles, of contractors vehicles, of milk trucks, and so on. That's not allowed under the ordinance or the pre-existing business ordinance. During the public comment, Monroe County resident Tommy Blaze supported the petitioner and said that he does not mind the overnight truck parking. I uh, grew up across the street. My uh, wife's family previously owned the gas station. Um, when they were operating the truck stop, they uh, let park trucks park there overnight and they never really had any problems. Um, for the 20 years I lived in the area, I never really had any problems with any noise from overnight parking. And I know Rosie and Pilo are the, the type of the owners, the type of people to uh, just want to make sure truckers have a safe place to get a rest and a good meal. And since the station has stopped overnight parking, I noticed a lot of truckers have resorted to parking on the sides of large interstates. And that's obviously not safe. Um, I don't think it's fair that we as people really enjoy how fast we can get things now, but we don't give the truckers the decency of safe and reasonable parking. Resident Jeff Morris said that he has concerns about the gas station. My family and I live across the street from the gas station, and I spoke last month about some of my concerns. So I wanted to speak up again this month since my concerns remain unchanged. I wanted to mention a couple of points from the lawsuit settlement that was shown earlier, uh, as there are specific requirements to outline to protect the neighbors. A couple of examples are, and I'm paraphrasing, evergreens were supposed to be planted every 12 feet along the sides of the property adjacent to neighbors. Nearly all of these have been cut down in recent years. The entire parking lot was supposed to be paved within a couple of years of the settlement, and the parking lot has been expanded multiple times since then, and the parking areas are now primarily gravel. Also, it clearly states in the settlement that all requirements listed are passed on to succeeding owners. As was mentioned, this site is zoned pre-existing business, and under the pre-existing business designation set in the 90s, the intensity of the site may not increase. In looking at satellite images um, in the packet and looking over the requirements in the settlement, it's undeniable that the parking area and intensity has greatly increased since the 90s. In fact, just last week, I looked out my front door and noticed another couple of dump truck loads of fill had been dumped on the northern edge of the property. This is the exact same way the parking lot expansion on the eastern part of the property started back in 2019. 
a few dump truckloads of fill here and there, and eventually there's another parking lot expansion that's been completed. If this intensity increase had followed the proper channels, adjacent property owners would have had a chance to speak up. However, when it's completed slowly over time behind the scenes, it bypasses the process that was designed to be inclusive and transparent to everyone impacted. As I've said before, I support the permitted use of the gas station. However, the slow changes over time that don't meet the county standards should not be permitted. Approving truck parking at this site only rewards the behavior of this slow under the radar approach to growth. This is not respectful to the neighborhood and is not respectful to any other Monroe County resident or business owner who abides by the rules. Thank you. The board voted two to three on the appeal, which means that the zoning use for overnight parking at the gas station on Victor Pike is not permitted. Up next, WFHB Assistant News Director Noel Herhusky Schneider interviews Bloomington Mayor John Hamilton on community issues in our bi-weekly segment, A Few Minutes with the Mayor. Herhusky Schneider speaks with Mayor Hamilton this week about the new art installation at the 4th Street Garage and more in today's edition of A Few Minutes with the Mayor. Here at WFHB, we have front row seats to the artwork installation at the 4th Street Garage. Can you tell me about how this design came to be? Well, I'm very excited about that project uh, going up. Uh, We had a, this is part of the 1% for the Arts program, where for major uh, projects like this, public projects, we dedicate at least 1% of the cost of the project to public art. And our arts commission and our arts uh, director for the city run a run a program and a contest uh, to find artists. They typically put out a call, say who's interested in this. And I know uh, we got several artists who are very interested in this project. And I love the the kind of the feel of what's going up now. I, I've seen this in renderings uh, over the last months, year. And um think it's terrific. Uh, it was a it was an artist. I'm, I I don't know the details offhand of the artist, but I can get, you know that's available online. I think, and we'll be doing a a a, a program to uh, just to uh, kind of cut the ribbon on it in the spring. I think, but it's a it's a beautiful uh, skin that's going on that garage. And why is funding artwork an important part of urban planning? You know, we want a city to be a great place in which to live, and part of that is it feels good to be here. It, it's enjoyable to be on the street and moving about and moving through space in a city, and public art is so important as a part of that, and not not just traditional things like murals and statues, which are great, and we have tons of them, but also things like performances and and uh, experiential time, you know time bound things of concerts here or uh, hearing somebody play a piano out on the street uh, as we're seeing now. But but these these the the the, the persist the presence of art, the presence of your art as are as you're in a city is so important to make you feel human and feel um, connected and see beauty and have that be part of your daily life. I totally agree. I think 
especially in Bloomington, we're, we're known as an arts and humanities, especially with the affiliation with IU and the College of Arts and Sciences and all that. I feel like Bloomington has so much character because we are so art-focused and centered. We are. I couldn't agree more. Um, it, it, art is in the DNA of our city, I think, and we have a lot of artists uh, of all kinds here, and having our public space uh, reflect that is the right thing to do, and it's a very, very valuable and important thing to do, too. When it comes to how the artist was selected, I think I noticed the Trades District Garage. There was a partnership potentially with Purdue University throughout all of this? Well, I know the artist uh, for the Trades District Garage is a Purdue professor, um, Esteban Garcia Bravo, I think. And um, he we just dedicated that last week, actually, uh, that, that art project there. That was a beautiful dedication. It actually was wonderful and involved windfall dancers who did a performance uh, around the new art space. And it's a deep community project. There were lots of community members who helped design some of the tiles, the components of that project up in the Trades District Garage. And I do know that the artist, uh, and this was his first significant public art uh, project, uh, is a professor of art up in Purdue. By the way, your your predecessor in this job Let's see who. What was her name? Oh, Sydney Foreman. Yeah, she was in the Woodfall Dancers. She was there. I got to meet her face to face, and yeah. and she did it. They were great. That was really fun. That's so. awesome. Yeah, I I wish I could have seen it. Yeah. When was the last time you walked past something beautiful or unique in Bloomington that you weren't expecting to see? Well, you know, that, let me. There are two ways to answer that. One is I loved walking by those pianos that have been uh, put up around uh, Bloomington that are decorated whimsically and beautifully. And, and I love seeing an instrument out there and people playing playing notes on a piano. So that surprised me because I didn't actually know it was happening. Um, and then the second thing I would say, I was... Um, I was surprised, I think is a fair term, when I when I walked around the Krampus celebration uh, last Saturday night and saw some of the characters and and uh, the look of uh, thousands of people who were gathering to celebrate that uh, that day uh, and it was quite a quite a scene of fire and and uh, and costumes and uh, and uh, a lot of interesting interactions among our residents. Dang, I've always wanted to go to that and it's already passed. Oh, you yeah. missed I hope it'll come back. It's a, always next year, right? Maybe, though. They said this might be the last year, but well, I'm sorry to break that to you. Oh, wait. That's actually a bummer. Yeah. Um, have I missed the holiday market yet? Already? You did that, too. <laughs> oh. Oh, alas. That was a Saturday <laughs> after Thanksgiving, so... Uh, uh, but I, no doubt there's now there's a winter celebration this weekend, Saturday, a new winter fest at the Switchyard Park. So you could try that out. You could be the start of a new tradition. Check yeah. that out. All right. That sounds good. I definitely will. And you've been listening to the WFHB Local News. Today's headlines were written by Cade Young and Noelle Herhusky Schneider in partnership with CATS. Community Access Television Services. Our feature was produced by Noel Herhusky Schneider. Our theme music is provided by Mark Bingham and the Social Climbers. Engineer and executive producer is Cade Young. 
For WFHB, I'm Benedict Jones. And I'm Todd Wicks. Thanks for supporting Indiana's only volunteer-powered, listener-supported, independent daily news program. You can hear tonight's full broadcast online at WFHB.org. You can be a part of our award-winning news team. For more information about joining our volunteer team of citizen journalists, email news at WFHB.org. And now, stay tuned for Planetary Radio, a program that explores the solar system and the beyond, coming up next on WFHB. Listening to the WFHB Local News on WFHB Community Radio. Our news is written and reported by volunteers working to provide local news, cover local issues, and strengthen our local community. We invite you to participate. You may submit questions, comments, and story ideas to news at WFHB.org. You can become a WFHB Local News Volunteer by attending new volunteer orientation. Feel free to check out the WFHB Local News Archive at WFHB.org to find newscasts, individual stories, and catch a live feed of the WFHB Local News. We are local, longer, 